Welcome to the Homeopathy for Mommies radio show. Your host, Sue Meyer, is a Catholic wife and homeschool mom of 11. She shares her knowledge of the study of natural alternative medicine with you. While this show is not intended to diagnose or name any disease, through her experience, Sue will share helpful information to help you further your study into the amazing world of homeopathy. And now, here's your host, Sue Meyer. Hello, and welcome to Homeopathy for Mommies. This is Sue Meyer. I was just thinking about our last show when we talked about food, and I wanted to continue talking about this for a little bit because it's it's really everything. It was a gal just in my store, and she's a RN, a nearby hospital, and she says, if they would just be convinced that it's all about nutrition. And I was telling her about my trip to Australia, and she goes, see, I knew it. I knew it. She said, if we ate right, we'd be healthy, we'd have a stronger immune system. That's what we need to do, is eat healthy so we can be healthy. And so I thought, I'm just going to expound upon this yet for another show. <laughs> and so you just have to bear with me. But it's, it's so true. You know, I look back at the way our grandparents lived yes they would be all hunched over from hard work but you know they were strong and they were healthy and they were still working in their 60s and 70s and well into all the way up to the time they were basically ready to die they were useful adults that participated and added to the family life and helped raise the grandkids and, and taught the grandkids they kept their minds and like I said I just can't stress enough how important it is to eat healthy so that we can be healthy and that reminds me of the old crock pickles. And of course, I'm always talking about my dad. You would think I didn't even have a mother. My mom was the, the most wonderful, quiet woman you ever wanted to meet. And she still is. But my dad, is he's the adventurer. He's always the um, one who's going to, you know, hey, Dory, let's do, you know, let's make this recipe or let's do that. And so he was the project guy. And my mom was like, oh, okay. And she would clean up his messes. <laughs> I just love the way opposites attract, right? Anyway, when we were small, my dad decided he was going to make some of those old-fashioned crock pickles. And he did. He went and picked all his cucumbers and washed them, and he cracked them. And he made what is known as a lactobacillus, a regular fermented pickle. They were delicious. So we kids would have to go skim off all the, the stuff that had floated to the top. But you could reach down and get the most delicious dill pickle you ever tasted and later he made some my sister and him my youngest sister and, and and he made some in buckets later all the grandkids loved him it, it was pretty neat but he, he hasn't he doesn't do that stuff too much anymore but that reminds me to explain to you why and I didn't even know this growing up we just knew we liked the taste of those pickles we didn't really stop to think about what's the difference between that in a in a pickle like a dill pickle that you buy in the grocery store well, the difference is the regular crock pickles, there's no vinegar added. They are just fermented, naturally occurring lactobacillus ferments those, the cucumbers, and that's what also ferments the cabbage. And other, you can also have lactobacillus fermented like kimchi, beets, and other vegetables, but it's the lactobacillus bacteria that ferments them and then preserves them. So like when we're making pickles or sauerkraut, what you do is you, I've never made the, the quart jar pickles, the regular fermented lactobacillus pickles, but a friend of mine taught me how to make the fermented 
sauerkraut. Oh my goodness. We had always made sauerkraut, shredded the cabbage, and then fermented it, regularly fermented it, and then we wrecked it by stuffing it in our jars and then heating it to can it. You don't need to go through that heating process to make your own sauerkraut and then preserve it in the pantry. What we did was she taught me to take shred like four pounds of cabbage and then you mix it with two tablespoons of salt and you let that, you stir it all up and you let that sit for about four hours and it'll start to water and you'll already hear, you know, it'll already start working because it gets kind of watery and, and it smells quite strong. Then after four hours you stir it all up and then you stuff your quart jars, not super, super stuffed stuff, but you want them good and full. Leave a one inch head space. You can pour one teaspoon of white vinegar over the top of it and that'll help to preserve the white color of the cabbage but you can forego that stuff and it'll just kind of darken the cabbage a little bit anyway and then you put the lid on and you set it in your pantry and it'll work and ferment and bubble and burp for about six weeks and then all of a sudden one day you will go down there and it will have just sealed itself and then it'll keep for a good year or even two on the shelf that's what I sell in the store here is the lactobacillus fermented sauerkraut now, if you're going to heat the sauerkraut, you might as well just buy the stuff that's on the shelf. If you're going to put it with your sausage, you can buy the stuff that's already canned. I have a different kind for that, but the real lactobacillus fermented sauerkraut, I do sell in the refrigerator. I don't have to keep it in the refrigerator, but I do just so it keeps the shelf life better um, because you really don't have to refrigerate it until after it's been opened. Anyway, it's kind of neat to understand this lactobacillus rich sauerkraut and why is it so good for me and the lactobacillus barrel crock pickles why are they so good for me you know back during the 50s and you'd see the sandwiches being served to the school kids and there was always a pickle on the edge of the plate why is that because it was the lactobacillus rich the fermented pickle that they were serving with the sandwich because it's rich in enzyme to help with the digestive process and we just tend to forget about the fact that we should be eating something rich in enzymes with every meal. You should eat something raw, something rich in enzymes like cheese, wine, hence in France, you know, they have a chunk of cheese and a small glass of wine literally with every meal. Even the children will have those things with their meals because they help the digestive process. They're rich in digestive enzymes. Our pancreas is always trying to pump out enough enzymes for us to digest our meals. We are so short cheating our, our system because we don't have enough rich enzymes to digest our meals that we were supposed to so that we can uptake the nutrients. Because unless our food is being digested properly, we can't use those nutrients. So with a, a good pickle, some sauerkraut on the side of the plate, not heated, but the good refrigerated fermented sauerkraut, that helps our digestive process. Something warm with your meal, even like a cup of warm coffee or warm tea, that also helps the digestive process just because it helps to warm the food. Um, Kent, he was a good homeopath and he always said that he recommended a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or something warm with the meal. Uh, our good priest friend, he said he would always have a cup of raw milk and he would leave it set out for a good half hour before he drank it with his meal because the warmth helped to digest the meal and of course the raw milk was rich in enzymes. Perfect food, digestion. He is now 96 years old. <laughs> anyway. The lactobacillus, and I just want to explain to you, the lactobacillus is, there's several different digestive enzymes and enzymes that help to ferment the foods. We have just the three we're going to talk about is the lactobacillus, the acidophilus, and the bifidus. The lactobacillus is the one that really, is the one that, like I said, ferments the 
sauerkraut and the pickles, and it's also used in, the, in some of the different yogurts or milk products for their process of fermentation. But the lactobacillus is what's so important for the intestinal tract. And I, I tell people, I says that I'm referring to like if you take a mother, a woman who is um, cycling naturally, and during the month, the endometrium in her uterus begins to build up. It gets a nice, rich, thick coat of blood and tissue so that when the baby is conceived, it has a place to implant. If there's no rich endometrium, the baby has no place to implant and it'll be slow. That's the same exact thing that happens on the inside of the intestinal tract in our digestive system. If there's no lactobacillus in our diet, then the, the inside of our intestinal wall cannot build up a nice, rich, good place for the acidophilus, the bifidus, and the other food enzymes to implant. Lactobacillus is absolutely essential and key to a healthy intestinal tract. Without it, there's no, no endometrium, so to speak, for the inside of the intestinal tract. So lactobacillus in your diet will help to build that up. Then the, the acidophilus that you're taking, whether it be in a probiotic or in another fermented food, and the bifidus, those wonderful bacteria have a place to implant. Then they can help to digest our foods and help us to uptake our nutrients better. So I just wanted to touch on those things. It's, I, I tell people this in my store all the time. They'll come in and it's so funny because there's a him standing there to two middle-aged men giving him this speech. And he goes, well, that's it. So they went over to the cooler and they bought pickles and sauerkraut and they're like, we're going to get healthy. <laughs> and I, I just think it's so funny because we don't, really even, we don't even stop to think about the fact that we should be eating like this anyway. And, and we just, <laughs> and we all wonder why we're so unhealthy, you know. I'm, I honestly am as guilty as the next person. I know how I'm supposed to be eating, but I still get, tend to give into my cravings on occasion, and I still don't fulfill the nutrient callings of my day. I tend to drink too much coffee, and like I said, I don't eat regularly. Just I used to. Okay, I used to, but this fast-paced lifestyle has, has, is kind of controlling me right now, <laughs> And um, but I still try to get the proper nutrients. I just am not eating everything I should. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to touch on that and expound upon the fact that our vegetables, our fruits, they're all rich in enzymes, good meats, and good dairy products, especially the fermented. And what is the difference between just a regular milk product and a fermented milk product? Well, if you've ever made cheese or cottage cheese or anything like that, um, you would understand it, but most people actually haven't. So like any of the dairy products, when you go to the store and you go to the dairy, dairy counter, um, butter. Butter is just simply made by skimming the cream off the top of the milk product. And sometimes, you know, nowadays, of course, they, they, from, they pasteurized everything. You can actually have raw butter. Uh, you don't have to pasteurize it. But either way, you have to skim the cream off the top of the milk. And then it's just basically shaken. And it will just turn into butter if it's, a really, it's got a really good butter fat. That's why they love June butter because June is dairy month because you can literally shake the cream and it'll jump into butter in just minutes. So that's why they love June because it's just, it's butter month. And uh, same with ice cream. When you churn your ice cream, that rich is so easy to make into ice cream. There's no fermenting to either butter or ice cream, but there is with yogurt and other cheeses and like your mozzarella, your curds, all your other aged cheeses, even your soft cheese, there's a slight bit of aging done. But what they do there is they pasteurize the milk so that there's no bacteria. 
and then they add back to it the bacteria, depending on what kind of cheese they're going to make, that's the type of bacteria they'll add back to the pasteurized milk when it's at a room temperature. And then they ferment. They let it just sit and ferment. And then, like if you're making cottage cheese, they'll take and it'll sit for several hours. And then they'll cut it into little squares. And then when that's stirred, it turns into curds. And the whey will separate and the curds will harden. They actually become, because you're first they're real soft, almost like they're just going to simply disintegrate. And as you continue to stir them, they just harden. It's so amazing. And so you, you can either have the large curd or the medium curd or the small curd, and then they'll end up pouring back cream over the top of that. And they, of course, they rinse the curds several times. They pour off the whey and rinse the curds. It's just amazing how cottage cheese is made, and it's really, really good for you. And cheese is made the same way. It's basically like taking the cottage cheese, and then instead of adding the cream back and having this soft curd-like salad, then they actually pour off all the whey, they don't add any cream to it, and then they put it in a press, and then they'll press it. And of course, it looks a lot like the cottage cheese when they pour it into the press, and then after they press it, it all hardens together. But that's for you know different kinds of cheeses. Like I said, I've only made a couple of different kinds. I like to make, I like to make the farmer's cheese, and then like a soft Colby. Uh, well, Colby's actually aged for a short period of time, but those are the two I like to make because they were easier. <laughs> there was less chance for ruining it. I found that the longer I had to age something, the more likely I was to pick up a bacteria that I wasn't happy with. I probably just got it on from utensils or something. And so then I, I wasn't real successful at making long-aged cheeses. But they are so good. And it's, when you find a good aged cheese, it is so good for you. And it adds so much to your diet. And I do actually sell some of those in my store here. <laughs> we have really good cheese. But that's something I can't ship. And you would just have to come and visit me. <laughs> but anyway, I, I wanted to continue this talk about food because it, it really, really is important. And if we stop and think about what we put in our mouth, why do we put some of that stuff in our mouth? And if it's, if it's not just food... You know, why are we actually eating it? We spend so much time thinking about what we want to eat. You know, um, everybody likes to go out to eat, but does anybody really stop to think about, okay, I want to go out to eat? Okay, what we're really saying is we just want to go out to eat. We don't want to go out and get good nutrition. <laughs> I know I was uh, at the sitting in front of the liquor store. I, I have to say this because I was thinking about this. I was sitting in front of the liquor store and I was thinking to myself, how much are we going to spend this weekend? Because it was, let's say, a holiday weekend. And I was thinking about how much everybody was spending as they went in. And they were coming out with these cases of beer or little sacks with, I suppose, wine or mixed drinks stuff in their little sacks. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking about the hundreds and hundreds of dollars coming out of that store. And I was thinking, none of those people were thinking to themselves, oh, you know, I need to scrutinize more. I need to think about this. I need to plan. None of those people went in there with lists. <laughs> they just went and bought what they needed and walked out. You go to a grocery store and people are walking around with these very scrutinized lists. It's almost like it's the biggest chore in the world is to go buy food. And if we would really stop and think about dollars and cents and what's the most important thing is our food. And yet we get angry if we can't find something on sale. We get angry if the price of something went up three or five cents a pound or if it's out of season and it's up $2 a pound, we get, like I said, we get angry. We're Americans. <laughs> we think we're entitled to food. We're like the only country in the world that thinks this, but it's the truth. And 
so when you're planning your meals, if you really stop and think about, okay, I, I need good grains, whole grain rice and whole grain like wheat, barley, we have rye, we have millet, chia, we have quinoa, excellent, excellent grain to be putting in with your, in your food diet. And then the vegetables, if it's in season, eat what's in season. That way you're not spending more than you can afford and you're still getting, you know, the good nutrients. God in his wisdom is amazing. Yes, we have trucks that can haul things nowadays, but if you just kind of eat, like say we have the winter vegetables and they store all winter. They start all the way to spring when other things can come into being. So like right now we have potatoes and we have onions and we have carrots. We still have squash, all different kinds of squash. These are excellent for like the onions, excellent for keeping away virus and things like that. I stir fry onions in almost every dish I make. We have garlics. The carrots are rich in vitamin A as are the squash and pumpkins that I still actually have in my store. The potatoes, well potatoes is kind of interesting because potatoes in and of themselves depending on how they're made, are very good for you. And I'll tell you a story. I remember it was a story about um, they had done some research with, with potatoes and hogs. And so they fed one group of fat hogs. I say fat hogs. They're like 200-pound hogs. They fed one group raw potatoes, and they fed this other group mashed potatoes or cooked potatoes in any way, shape, or form. Anyway, the, they both did equally well as far as reproduction and things like that, except the group that was getting the cooked potatoes, they tended to get have because they were fatty, they tended to have more reproductive problems, and they did get fat and they got lazy, but they were still healthy per se. The other group that was fed the raw potatoes were lean and strong, reproduced high lit numbers in their litters, and it was um, an interesting study anyway. Because when we grew up, when mom was peeling potatoes, we'd all go running. She'd peel us a potato and we'd, we'd take off running with a salt shaker and we'd eat this potato, you know, it was, just, it was our treat, it was our apple. <laughs> And my, my, I think my daughters still do it with my grandkids. I know my one daughter does. We were talking about it the other day. She's like, oh, raw potato is like my favorite. And obviously, as the potato, you know, later in the season, you don't want to eat the skins because they do become bitter and thick. And But early in the season, you can just scrub a potato and you can just eat it like an apple. And they really, really are good for you as far as, you know, if they're grown well. So anyway, eat the things that are in season. And, and don't be afraid to bake your breads. Uh, I had... One lady here, and I, it's, I, she wanted to try some millet flour, and I said, I know the lady that makes the biscotti in my store here, millet flour and oat flour, she likes, she makes a gluten-free biscotti that's absolutely delicious. You can't really tell it from a, diff, from a regular biscotti, and she uses a lot of millet flour, I know that. But she's kind of perfected the whole gluten-free thing because her husband is, is he eats gluten-free, and so that's the way she naturally cooks anyway. But the gluten-free issue is huge in this country as well. So many people come into my store and they'll say that they're gluten intolerant or only a few say they're actual celiac. But again, and I, I tell people, I say, you know, if you eat this, okay, I, I, Ezekiel bread I serve in my store. And I tell them that um, it's delicious and I love it because it's sprouted grains that they actually mash. If you do the research about Ezekiel bread, rather than grinding the grains, they sprout it and then they mash it and they make this bread. And it is really, really good. And you feel really good when you eat it. But if you're going to be using the dried grains and the dried flours, I use organic. And I tell people, honestly, if you're eating organic, whole grain foods, even though you've been diagnosed gluten intolerant, there's a 70% chance that you can still eat regular wheat, 
you know, good wheat. Um, spelt is a really good option to make breads with and things like that because it's an older grain that hasn't been modified and our bodies recognize it more readily than some of the, the newer varieties of wheat. But it's, you soak, I just soak my flour overnight. It's already ground, but I just soak it overnight. My milk, whatever I'm going to put in my, for my liquids, and then I will, my whole grain, my whole wheat, and then in the morning I'll just finish it off with a whole wheat white flour for kneading. And I add the rest of my, add my yeast in the morning and then make a delicious, delicious homemade bread. I like to actually make, I soak my flour overnight and then I make regular whole rolled oats, organic whole rolled oats in the morning for breakfast. And then I'll use the leftover, I'll make extra, I'll use the leftover whole rolled oatmeal. And then I'll hit that with a blender and I add that to my bread dough before I get it, you know, before I'm ready to knead it. Oh my goodness, is that delicious because you get an extra protein of the oats because oats are really naturally high in protein, not quite as high as barley, but they're very good. And of course it brings that extra moisture to your bread dough and it's, you can slice this. Oh, it's so, so good. I haven't made homemade bread for a while. I make bread sticks here in the store all the time or what I call my butter bread to go with soups and things. And that, I use the organic flour and I can do that in a matter of, you know, minutes versus hours. <laughs> but when I was raising my family, I would, every Monday, I'd make 10 loaves of bread, just like clockwork, and it would last us all week. It sounds like a lot of bread, doesn't it? But when you have, you know, I always had at least eight, nine, ten kids in the house, <laughs> and my husband. And I'd use this, I'd use it for sandwiches, but it was so good. It was just so delicious. And, you know, people come in and say, oh, you know, I just can't do the whole wheat thing. And I'm thinking, I can't eat enriched flour either. It, it, actually, I will get a very bad stomach ache. Not like pain. I just feel like there's a lump in my stomach. And so I just avoid it. I don't even think about it. I just avoid it. And so then I was reading this, this cancer book, an amazing book. And I'm going to eventually talk about that someday. But they had a story in there of two groups of rats. <laughs> the first group was fed whole wheat bread, unenriched whole wheat bread. The second group was fed enriched white bread. And that's all they were fed. To make a long story short, the group that was fed the unenriched whole wheat bread, they did fine. They didn't change. They didn't seem to, you know, notice any difference, but that group did just fine. The second group fed the, the, the enriched white bread. It was within like two weeks, those rats started becoming withdrawn and antisocial. I'm thinking, what's happening to all our children, you know? <laughs> We're, you know, we're, we're so-and-so, we're little Johnny goat, they're gone. They don't want to, they don't want to have to interact with other people. They avoid eye contact. You know, I'm thinking, this is exactly like that rat study. <laughs> anyway, so then within another two weeks or so, then those rats started becoming cannibalistic because it was evident that they were now starving to death. They weren't getting the nutrients that they needed. So rats being who they are, started to turn on each other to get what they needed. And then within two months, that group of rats being fed enriched white bread started dying. So I'm like, oh, when we have studies like this out there, why do we continue to eat enriched products? I, I, it just amazes me. So I thought I'd share that with you because I just wanted to drive home the importance, the importance of eating organic, non-GMO, grow your own, ask the neighbor to grow it type foods. Have it, you know, there's just so many food co-ops out there and there's, People can band together and not everybody has to do, you know, everything because that, that is a lot of work. That's, that's like doing what I did growing up, but I was home and I had, you know, my little plot of land 
and I had all these things and I, I mean I don't have those anymore so I rely on others to help me resource this you know even for the store and for my personal because everything I everything we eat most of it comes from my store so I want to make sure that it's good quality I was fortunate enough to find a resource for the store like my grass-fed beef organic lamb that they're as good as they can possibly be that I could you know retail them for and that's what we eat now as well and it is important I and my husband's like uh, what are you paying for that and I'm like I know honey did you know what we have to have good food he's like I know I know it's important it's absolutely essential and if we want to maintain our health this is what has to be and I'm and people say I had one lady say okay I'm gonna I'm gonna start with my family we're gonna get healthy and so she went home <laughs> she literally emptied her cupboards and her pantry and she threw everything away she came back later and told me she had done this and I'm like you what <laughs> no wonder your husband's having a heart attack because I mean she anyway I just tell people you know just I encourage people just to start with one thing at a time say okay this week I'm gonna learn about this and I'm just gonna start buying healthier and the funny thing is is you're gonna find that you only need a handful of actual products in the house in order to make stuff you know some of the recipes that you'll find online or even like my mother-in-law she is the best cook ever but it actually calls like her recipes will actually call for a can of something or you know a bag of something else you know that generation they were starting to go more instant and um, so you don't freak out because it calls for a can of something you can make your own even if it's a can of sweetened condensed milk you can you can make your own just use real cream and some cane sugar and some butter and voila you have a can of sweetened condensed milk that you can that you can use to bake your fudge nut bars or whatever it is you're doing it's so easy and and there's so many people that can't cook unless they have an absolute set recipe but there's a part in the Betty Crocker cookbook I think it's called substitutions <laughs> it's amazing what you can learn from the substitution page so you know that's what we have to do you know in order to to bake and cook and do these things for our family when we don't want to have to reach for a can of something else. So anyway, I'm not going to keep continuing on this subject, but I, I really, really hope that it's been helpful to talk about food a little bit because it, it doesn't have to be a mystery. You know, if you go out just by your grains, your farm fresh eggs or your organic eggs have a good source for your milk. The milk I sell in the store is minimally processed and pasteurized, but it still is pasteurized, but it's the best alternative I have for retailing. And then if you have you know, yes, okay, we have the treat foods like the potato chips and stuff like that, but good cheese and good meats, good vegetables and fruits. Yes, during this time of year, it's, you know, frozen fruits and vegetables and canned fruits and vegetables are a good option for this time of year. But you still can have your whole, your raw potatoes and your onions and squash and carrots and things like that that are still, you know, the good keepers over the winter months. And just, it's, and, and voila, you have a meal. You know, you have butter and um, there, there's just not a lot else you need. Some flour. You can grind your own. A lot of people have little mills. A lot of people that come in my store have their own mill at home and they grind their own. I do carry the whole berries here and most co-op stores do carry, you know, organic wheat berries or organic um other greens and then you can sprout your you can sprout things for a nice salad it's just it's so simple it, eating does not have to be this huge scary process we can just have simple ingredients in our home and make simple foods eat delicious food all right I'm gonna let you go but just start thinking outside the box and when you look up a recipe say whole food recipes and you'll be surprised what you'll come up with and you're family are, is going to think that you're amazing because you made whole grain bread and you know a really nice soup 
or pasta dish, whole grain pasta dish or something like that. And they're going to think, Mom, you're the best cook in the world. Or Dad, you're the best cook in the world. <laughs> so have a wonderful, wonderful day. And thank you so much for listening. May God bless you and yours. Thanks for listening to this episode of Homeopathy for Mommies radio show. Please visit Sue on her website, homeopathyformommies.com, and join us right here at homeopathyformommiesradio.com, Wednesday, noon Eastern. As always, we pray the Lord blesses you with good health, vitality, strength, and wisdom.